want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Kings chapter number 23. 2 Kings chapter number 23. And I want to preach to you for a few moments uh, out of the life of Josiah, the king of Judah. You know, we have revival coming up a week from today. And you say, preacher, what can I do to help around the church? Well, one of the things you can do with revival coming up is be inviting people. Uh, letting them know you probably have a coworker that's been promising you that they come to church. I think this Sunday would be a good opportunity for you to really lean on them. And just, I don't mean be ugly, I don't mean be obnoxious, but say, hey, now wouldn't it be a good Sunday for you to come to church with me? You promised me that you would. Would you come with me this Sunday? You won't even have to listen to my boring old pastor. We're going to have a special preacher. And uh, you'll enjoy it. You've probably got a neighbor that said, you know, one of these days I'm going to go down to church with you, down to that church. Wouldn't it be a good opportunity this week to call them up and say, hey, you've been talking about coming to church with me. We've got a special meeting coming up Sunday. I'd love for you to be here with me. I'll have a seat right beside me uh, for you. And if somebody's in it, I'll kick them out of it. But you can sit right beside me and uh, encourage them to come to the house of God. And then you be faithful. Uh, you be present here and be praying this week and be asking God to do a work in your heart. I'll tell you, it's very easy to have a series of meetings and nothing more. But if God's people will ready their hearts for the work of revival that God desires to do in them, you'd be amazed what God can do in your life. Second Kings chapter number 23, and we're just going to read six verses this morning uh, to begin with, and then we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Second Kings chapter 23, verse number 1, speaking of Josiah, the Bible says, The king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord... And all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book, and all the people stood to the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door, to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove and for all the host of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. And he put down the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem. Them also that burned incense unto Baal to the sun and to the moon and to the planets and all the host of heaven. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem under the brook Kidron, and burned it at the brook Kidron, and stamped it small to powder, and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. We'll stop there and pray. Father, we love you, Lord. Thank you for letting us be in the house of God this morning. Thank you for the way that you've ministered to us already through the singing, through the fellowship, Lord, through the prayer, through the opportunity to give of tithes and offerings. Lord, we're so blessed already, and we've not even begun the preaching of the Word of God. Lord, we're just, we have gratitude in our hearts for what you've already done, but now we turn our attention to this preached Word. 
May it be powerful in our lives. Lord, we know that it's powerful in Your hand. But may we give entrance unto the Word of God this morning to work meaningfully, effectually, and, and, and personally in our lives. May we yield to You as You seek to do a work in us, and we'll be sure to thank You for what is produced. Lord, there could be one in this crowd that's lost without Christ. They've never been born again. They've never been saved. I pray You'd show them that great need of salvation. Lord, whatever the heart's need is for each person here, I pray that You'd meet it in a way that would give you glory. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As we said a moment ago, this passage of Scripture concerns the life and work of one of the kings of Judah by the name of Josiah. Uh, when you study the history of the kings of Judah and of Israel, you'll find after the reign of Solomon, the son of David, that God split the kingdom in two. And the northern ten tribes broke off and became the kingdom of Israel. Uh, and the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, became the kingdom of Judah. And when you study the history of these two side-by-side kingdoms, you'll find that the kingdom of Israel never really had a good king. What I mean by that is they never had a king that feared God. They had kings that helped them economically, that brought prosperity to the land. Uh, but you know, that's not really what a people needs. What a people needs more than anything is to follow the Lord. Uh, they had martial kings that uh, marched them to war and led them in great battles and vanquished their enemies. But you know, really what a people needs more than that is to follow the Lord. Uh, they uh, were brought into the culture of this world in the kingdom of Israel, uh, all men of technology and all manner of culture was injected into their society. But you know what a people needs really more than culture is to follow the Lord. And so this checkered history of uh, these two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel never had a good king. Now the kingdom of Judah was a little more blessed. Uh, They had a few good kings. Names like Uzziah and Asa and Hezekiah loom large upon the pages of God's Word as men that though not perfect, they did love the Lord and they wanted to please the Lord. Man, I'm glad you don't have to be perfect for God to bless your life, but you do have to love the Lord and have a heart for Him and that be reflected in the way that you live your life. And so they had plenty of bad kings. There's no question of it. In fact, we'll mention them here in a moment. Arguably, the most wicked king of either kingdoms was in the kingdom of Judah. But they also had a number of good kings. And this young man by the name of Josiah that we're reading about this morning, he assumed the throne at eight years old. His work really begins at 18 years old with some of the events that we're reading about in this passage. He was one of the few good kings of Judah. His life's greatest work was in fact a revival that swept through the kingdom that began in his heart. It's a stark reminder to me. Let me just preach it to preacher for a moment this morning. If I want revival in your hearts, I need to let revival start in my heart. Amen. Hey, let me tell you something, daddies. If you want revival in your family, you're going to have to let it start in your heart. Mamas, you want your revival in your kids, you're going to have to let it start in your hearts. The revival that spread through the kingdom began in the heart of Josiah. And what we're reading about in our text this morning is him attempting to ready the land of Israel 
for revival. In fact, there's really not much else spoken about concerning Josiah. The chapter previous to this one, which we'll look at in a moment, and then our chapter that we've read as our text, are really, at least in the book of Second Kings, the only information we're given about Josiah. And all of it is focused on the idea of revival. You know, it's interesting when you consider his place in the history of the kings of Israel. He's the grandson of Manasseh, the most evil king that Judah, or really either tribes, ever endured. And as such, you know, Josiah in many ways symbolized revival and a return to God. After the dark and depraved reign of Manasseh and the short and tragic reign of Manasseh's son Ammon, uh, then Josiah, the son of Ammon, ascends the throne. And it's like a breath of fresh air into the kingdom. All of the sudden, God begins to move and to work once again. And so in many ways, not just in his actions, but in his place in their history, Josiah symbolizes revival and a return to God for the people of God. So it's no surprise that when we look at his life, we really, what we have is a treaty on the idea of revival. As we said next week, we're going into revival and I'm excited for what God will do. But I'm also, if I'm being frank, always a little nervous as we go into the revival meeting. And you say, well, preacher, why is that? Are you afraid somebody's going to sing a sour note or the preacher's going to preach a flat sermon? Or No, listen, I preach flat sermons every week and you keep showing up. Amen. So that's not what makes me nervous. Preacher, are you afraid somebody's not going to be in their place? We've never had a revival where everybody's been in their place. You say, preacher, what is it that makes you nervous about revival? Here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid we'll waste it. I'm afraid we'll waste it. I ain't worried about wasting the money to fly them in and put them up in a hotel. Money ain't worth nothing anyway. That ain't what I'm worried about. I'm not as much worried about the effort that you go through to have revival. I mean, you know, it's a real hard thing to come in, plop down on a pew in air conditioning, right? What I'm really worried about is that we would waste this time and opportunity that God has given us. And that one day, you and I both would be judged in light of the missed opportunity that God has provided for us. So really, here's what my desire is in the message this morning. As Josiah was readying the land for revival, I want to look at this passage, and I hope we'll ready our hearts for revival. I hope that we'll do serious business with God and we'll desire coming into this series of meetings for God to do something big, something memorable. I'm talking about something that's not just a a, a stepping stone, but is a milestone in our life that we can look back to and say, boy, you remember when God got victory in my life in that matter. So when we look at this passage, what can we learn about revival from the record of Josiah's life? Well, turn back with me one chapter previous. Turn back to chapter 22. Because this really begins in this in this chapter. And I want us to just walk through for a few moments uh, before we preach some of the things that happen. There's really two questions that this man's life answers for us. The, the first one is this question. What is revival all about? What are we trying to do in revival? I'll tell you this, and undoubtedly there have been doctrinal dissertations written on the phenomena of revival. Why do these Christians go down? And don't they have enough church? I guarantee you've heard that from your family, your co-workers, your friends. Don't you go to church enough? Why are you going down there on revival meeting? Well, what are we trying to do 
with this revival. I think we learn about it in the roots, in the opening moments of this revival in the life of Josiah. Listen to how it begins in verse number 3. The Bible says, And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house unto carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone. Notice this next phrase to repair the house. Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully. So in other words, this work of revival begins when after many long years of, of idolatry and apostasy, the temple had been laid barren and, and, and laid uh, empty. There was really nothing much there. There was no activity going on. And one of the things that enters into the heart of Josiah is he wants to see the temple restored back to its former glory. So he sends to the high priest and says, listen, we've been taking money in all these years. We must have money laid up. Well, there, there, there's things broken down. There's things tore up. There's things in disrepair. Why don't you go up to Hilkiah and say, it's time to get busy. There are breaches in the house. Not breaches. Breaches in the house. Go up and repair the breach. I've seen breaches that needed repaired too. Amen. But repair the breaches that are in the house. You say, preacher, what's revival all about? Let me say number one this morning. Here's what it's about. It's about repairing the house. So what do you mean by that, preacher? Uh, church looks in pretty good shape, and and I, I like to believe and, and, and am proud of our people that we take good care of the house of God. Uh, there's always things that need to be done. You'll find that to be true when you're part of a local church. Always something that needs to be done, but by and large, we take good care of the house of God. But that's not really what I mean this morning. I don't really mean taking care of the physical structure of the house of God. What I really mean is basically two things. Number one, let me say this. The work had to be restarted. Say, preacher, what's revival all about? It's about God's people getting a burden and a fire and a heart to serve Him. For many years, the priests had grown fat and lazy, laid up with no job to do. Josiah says, hey, it's time to get to work. Go find those carpenters. Tell them it's work time. Go find those hewers of stone and those masons. Tell them it's time to get their lunch pail. We're going back to work. You know what we're desiring this upcoming week? That God would put a burden in our heart, a fire in our heart, that we might get busy serving God. It's already said this morning, but I'll give a hearty amen to it. Time is short. Listen, one of the most profound statements I ever heard a preacher uh, make, and this is going to sound simplistic, elementary when I say it, but man, it just it it grabbed my heart uh, and and squeezed my soul. He said, if you're going to do something for God, you better do it now because Jesus is coming back soon. Man, that's the truth. There ain't time to fool around, make excuses, and find other things to do. We better get busy serving God. Revival, it puts a fire in our heart. But not only that, notice this, you know, in the New Testament, when the Bible talks about the house of the Lord, it talks about it in regards to the church, but also talks about it in regards to the people of God. It says about you and I that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so think about it in this way. Josiah says, hey, the temple is broken down. We need to do something to fix those breaches. You know what breaches are? They're they're, they're holes, they're open places, they're points of weakness and points of vulnerability in a structure. And he says, we got to do something about this. we got to shore it up. we got to tighten it up. we got to fix it. we got to do something to get this house in better repair. 
Now, listen, you can tell, uh, you can tell I'm a fitness nut. I know that. But I ain't talking about health this morning. What I'm talking about is our spiritual house. I'm talking about our life that we're living for the Lord. And you know what revival's about, man? It's about fixing the breaches in the house. I said a moment ago when we were praying and, and afterwards when we were describing our hopes for this revival, and I'll just echo it again. I want God to do some things that are milestones for you next week. I'm talking about some things that you can point back to. There's moments in my life that I can point back to, and as vividly as though I had just stepped away from it a moment ago, I can remember times when God arrested my soul, got my attention, showed me something that I needed to be doing for Him, did serious business in my heart. You say, preacher, what was that? He was repairing the breaches in my Christian life. One of the things I desire is that God would do that this week. And I hope you desire that for your life this week. I hope you're humble enough to recognize and admit that ain't everything the way it ought to be. Not in your life, not in your home, not in your family, not in your testimony. We'd probably all admit not everything's the way it ought to be. So what's going to get it the way that it ought to be? Well, revival has the ability to repair the house. Not only that, look what happens when they start to do that. Verse 8, the Bible says, And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. He said, I went into church, found a Bible there. He said, and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe, now what's he been reading, by the way? Let me just pause and say this. I ain't got time for this detour, but that's all right. Let's go ahead and take it anyway. Isn't it something that the scribe didn't know where the Bible was? Don't that tell you something about the scribes in the land of Israel at this time and at other times? His job is to know the Bible. He don't even know where the Bible is. Hey, how many preachers are there? Oh, my. How many preachers are there on the radio uh, that would tell you that their job is to know the Bible, but they don't even know where the Bible is? You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, you tell them, do you believe you have the Word of God? They say, well, in the originals. Where's your copy of the originals? Well, we don't really know where they're at. They tell you that their job is to know the Bible. They don't even know where the Bible is. I know where the Bible is. It's sitting right here on my pulpit. How many scribes are there in the church today that would say, oh yeah, we know, we, we know, you know, the Bible. And you say, well, where is the Bible? Well, a little bit here, a little bit there. Not really sure. Not sure what portion is and what portion isn't. And what it really comes down to, if you were to say, where's the Bible? They'd say, I don't know where the Bible is. What a sad testimony in the church. So I, I see the scribe, he didn't even know where it was, but he finds it and he reads it. And it's amazing what reading the Bible will do. The Bible says, Shaphan the scribe came to the king. And brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Preacher, what's revival all about? Number one, it's about repairing the house. Number two, it's about rediscovering the book. They didn't need a new book. They didn't need a new book. They needed that old book that they had done forgot about and left piling up dust somewhere in a corner. You know, Vance Havner once said, what Christianity needs is not some new thing. It needs something so old that it seems new. And you know, the truth of the matter is, what you need and what I need, we need to get back to the Bible. We need to fall back in love with this book again. And part of what we're desiring in this series of meetings is that you rediscover again your passion, your zeal, your love, your fascination with the Word of God. 
If your life's going to be anything that it ought to be, that is going to rise and fall upon your relationship with this book. Uh, if you don't love this Bible, and if you don't read this Bible, and I say it to my own shame, man, there's times, hey, I ought to be reading it more. You ought to be reading it more. Our life will rise and fall on what we do with the Bible. And so one of the things we're seeking to do is to rediscover the book. Not find some new book. Not find some new mechanism, some new system, some new method. They didn't need nothing new. You notice what they did. The Bible says they just picked it up and read it. They just... Sounds complicated, right? This whole revival began because somebody picked up a Bible and read it. They just picked it up and read it. Oh, preacher, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Well, you could begin by picking it up and reading it. I don't find that they studied it. I found that they read it. Now, I believe we ought to study, show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But they don't even say they studied it. It doesn't say they divined it. It doesn't say they dived into the depths of the mystical secrets of this, that, that. No, they just picked it up and read it. And it changed people's lives. Wonder how much it could change our lives if we just pick it up and read it. What's revival about, preacher? It's about repairing the house, rediscovering the book. But then notice verse 13 or verse 11, excuse me. The Bible says, And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the scribe and Asahiah the servant of the king saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according to all that which is written concerning us. You know what the king did? I don't know what passage that uh, that Shaphan read. I guarantee it probably wasn't in John 3.16 or the 23rd Psalm. But he gets up and he begins to read. And undoubtedly he was reading of the promises in the Old Testament concerning the fact that uh, if the children of Israel walked in disobedience to the Lord, then the Lord would bring plagues upon them and enemies upon them. And whenever Josiah hears this, he begins to tremble in his heart. He's, he, he's arrested by this truth. And, and he says, you know, not only have we been living this way and endured some of these pains and some of these sorrows, but how much more wrath is getting ready to fall upon us. And here's what he does. The Bible says he rent his clothes. This was a symbol of repentance, of laying oneself bare and open before God. Here's what he did. And you say, preacher, what's revival about? Well, I'd say number three, it's about repenting the heart. When he read the word of God, he believed it. He had faith in it. He trusted in it. He recognized its practical import to his life. And he said, I better get this thing right or the wrath of God is going to fall on me. Hey, listen, I don't care how spiritual you think you are. We all need to repent. I don't just mean sometimes. I mean, we all need to repent. When was the last time you rent your heart before God? Uh, That's what in the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea, that God asked for. He said, rend your heart and not your garments. Uh, When was the last time you rent your heart before God? When was the last time you got honest with the Lord? When was the last time that God rung your bell and you answered? When was the last time that he put his divine finger on your life and said, this is an issue? And you said, okay, Lord, I believe you. I'm sorry. It's wrong that I've been doing that. Forgive me of that. I'm turning from that sin. That's what revival's about, man. That's part of the... Re- Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble here in a second. I live in trouble. I, I love hearing preachers preach. I do. I love hearing preachers preach. 
I was telling this morning, I don't go to a lot of camp meetings or anything like that, and there's myriad reasons for that. I'm not against them. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not against them. And there's some great ones out there, man. I praise the Lord for it. But I'm not just interested in, in going somewhere and sitting and hearing someone dazzle and impress me with their pulpiteering. I, I mean, there, there, there's, I'm simple-minded. There's a lot closer, cheaper things that dazzle and impress me, Right? I could go down to the science museum, put my hand on that electric ball, and watch my beard stand up if I'm just bored. And part of the reason that I love revival, and I like the word revival. I know a lot of people get real pretentious and snooty. Well, you shouldn't call it a revival. You don't know if revival's going to happen, this and that. Yeah, that's why you quit having revivals, because you got used to them not happening. I'd rather have revival and pray for revival and beg God for revival. You say, preacher, what happens if we don't have revival? Then we, uh, we examine ourselves and we ask God to show us why He's not working in our midst. I'm not going to give up on this thing of revival. I believe revival can happen. And part of the reason, man, I love the idea and the concept and the practice of revival is because it gets down to where we live and deals with us and what we've been living in. It's a meaningful, personal, practical, getting down where you live type of thing. Part of what we're hoping for and praying for. Listen, I I don't want to go to church and God not talk to me. Some people go to church and and what they desire more than anything is God to leave them alone. We'll go down to the bar. He'll leave you alone there. You come to church, you ought to be hoping that God won't leave you alone. Why come to revival meeting if you're not going to pray and say, God, speak to me? Why come to church at all if you're not going to pray and say, God, speak to my life, speak to my heart? Is it because you think you've got everything figured out? You probably wouldn't say that, but sadly that might be the truth. Now, the reality is we all, we all need God to be speaking to our heart. So I would say this. It's about repairing the house, rediscovering the book, repenting the heart. But then I would say this. I like verse 14. Verse 14 and onward. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asahiah went unto Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Horus, keeper of the wardrobe. Now, ladies, don't get excited. It doesn't mean wardrobe like you'd like it to mean. Now, she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they communed with her. And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me. That's the king. Tell the man that sent you to me. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say to him, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. So here's what happens. He sends word unto them. King Josiah, he wants to know what all this means. And the answer that is returned is simply this. The things you read are true. I'm going to pour my wrath out upon this place. They've forsaken me. They've turned to idols. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to that. 
But you, Josiah, because when you heard what happened, you, you, you repented your heart, you turned back towards me, you listened, I'm not going to pour any of this upon you. Now, think about what Josiah then does in the next chapter. Here's what we would think he might do. We would think he might uh, hide himself away, close the shutters on the palace, lock the door, and wait for the wrath of God to fall on everybody outside. But that's not what he does. Instead, he begins to institute nationwide religious reform in the land. What was going through his mind? Now, here's what I think was going on. Josiah, just like them, was headed down this path for the judgment of God. But God said, Josiah, you repented, and therefore I am in my mercy sparing you. Josiah says, you know, if God could do it for me, he could do it for the land. And so here's what he does. He knows, he knows that the momentum is against him. He knows that the odds are small. But he says, right now, the land is on a course set for destruction. Let's see if we can do something about that. So, preacher, what's revival all about? I'd say this. Revival's about reversing the course. The course in our family. The course in our life. The course in our kids. The course in our marriage. The course in our church. The course in our community. And in our country. What are we trying to do? We're trying to turn the tide. Could God do that, preacher? You really think a little revival meeting happened over here on Wall Ridge Road? That God could do something like that? Yes. Why do you believe that, preacher? Because I've seen Him do it in lives personally. And what we're trying to do, don't mistake this one moment. We ain't just getting together to hear good singing and hear good preaching. I don't know if you heard of this thing they come up with. It's called YouTube. You can find better preachers than you'll ever hear in this pulpit. Oh, you can amen. That's okay. That ain't going to hurt my feelings. You can find better singers. And I love our singers, but you can find better singers than you'd ever hear here. The purpose of it is not just to sit and be entertained. What are we trying to do, man? We're trying to reverse the course. We've recognized that if our country keeps going this way, God's going to have to judge her going to have to. You've heard it before. If he doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Our country, man, I mean, you just, you, you can't keep thumbing your nose at God and God not have something to say about it. Hey, and our kids, if God doesn't do something in some of our kids, they're, going, they're, they're set for destruction. Our grandkids, our families, our marriages, what are we trying to do? We see danger, impending doom coming, and we're trying to turn the tide and see something change. And if God could do it in your life personally, why can't He do it in your home? Why can't He do it in your kids? Why can't He do it in your marriage? Why can't He do it in your church? Why can't He do it in your country? I believe He can. So that's what these meetings are all about. I told you there were two questions that the life of Josiah speaks to. The first is, what is revival all about? But then our text this morning, that was a good introduction, wasn't it? Didn't you enjoy that? I have just a few things very briefly to say to you out of our text answers the second half. And that's this question. So what's needed for revival? Preacher, I know what we're trying to do. So what is it going to take? I believe Josiah took and he exported all that God had done in his life out into the country. He took the same pattern, the same path that God had done in his life. And he said, if God could do it for me, he can do it for them. And he began to institute these things. I believe Josiah knew something about revival. 
And so I want to ask this question. What's needed? I think we see it in our text. Notice just a few things. Look at verse number 2. The Bible says, And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the people. Notice this next phrase, both small and great. You know what that means in good Appalachian terms? Everybody. Everybody. No V. Everybody. That's what that means. Everybody. All the folks, all the peoples, all of them. What did he do? He read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. I see, number one, this morning, the commandments that are needed. You know what you need for revival? This book. You need the word of God. I know this is uh, your I hope spiritually you like what I'm about, but your flesh ain't going to like what I'm about to say. You're not going to intuit yourself into revival. Can I tell you what your flesh is going to do? It is always going to agree with your most base actions. You're not going to just sit at the house and reach a transcendental moment of spiritual enlightenment that produces revival in you. God did not design it that way. If you're going to have revival, it's going to get preached into you. Oh, that's okay. It's going to get preached into you. If you're going to have revival, it's going to be because the Word of God is delivered to you because it stands toe-to-toe against your flesh, your opinion, your perspective, and your personality and confronts you and the weaknesses in your life. You know what Josiah recognized? He said, boy, that book, there's something special about it. Shaphan got up, just started reading it, and God started working in my soul. And he said, I bet if we read that book to everybody else, same thing would happen to them. Now, we can snicker, but what truth there is in that? Uh, that's part of the reason. Hey, listen, it ain't going to happen. You know the problem with hoping the TV preacher is going to give you a revival? You can turn him off. Now, you can, you can turn me off too, but it's going to take a little bit more work. I'm not as easy to handle as he is. The reason you need the preaching of the Word of God is because the Word of God confronts us where we're living, what we're doing, how we're behaving. It doesn't care about our feelings. doesn't care about our perspective. Uh, it doesn't care. Hey, listen, the, the, the Bible don't... Mm, how do I say this? The Holy Ghost is not impressed. He, he's not afraid of losing your tithe. He's not afraid of losing your approval. Uh, he's not... The Word of God is not afraid of, uh, of, uh, of you getting mad and getting upset with it. It just, it just tells us like it is. And a man of God that loves God and, and loves people more than he loves himself is going to do the same thing as well. Josiah recognized this thing ain't going to happen unless this same book that warned me, that, that stirred me, is, is read in the ears of all the people. So here's what he did. He got everybody together. And, you know, that's really that's what we're doing with revival. We're saying, let's all gather together under the preaching of the Word of God. Uh, that way he can speak to our hearts. I'm not against children's ministry. We have children's ministry. We, listen, uh, well, I love to get rid of my kids. You kidding? We just sent them to the park this morning. I hope there's somebody down there with them. I don't really know. Uh, but, listen, at the end of the day, my kids also, they need to sit under preaching. Not just teaching, and I believe in children's ministry, I believe in teaching, I was a youth pastor for years, but they also, hey, both small and great, the little ones and the big ones, both sat under the Word of God. And that's part of what we're doing with this revival meeting. Getting your family under the Word of God so that God can do something in their life. I I see the commandments that are needed. Then look at verse 3, I like this. The king stood by a pillar 
and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep His commandments and His testimonies and His statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people, I like this phrase, all the people stood to the covenant. Now, it could mean, uh, you know, uh, spatially, it could mean physically, they all stood up, but the obvious implication is they are, they are giving their ascension, their, their agreement with this covenant. And I like this, man. They stood to the covenant. Here's what it's going to take. I, I see not only the commandments that are needed, I see the commitment that's needed. They had to hear the words and then respond to it. We're good at about half that. We're good at hearing the words. We're good at even agreeing with the words, but rarely do we respond to the words. It's one thing to say, yeah, that's good, that's true, amen, that's wonderful. And uh, listen, I'm not saying you ought to uh, jettison that. You ought to do one and not neglect the other, as Christ said to the Pharisees in the New Testament. Of course, listen, we ought to agree with the preaching of the Word of God, but we also ought to agree with our life with that same preaching as well. And I tell you this, for revival going to happen, it's going to take some commitment. It's going to take commitment to be here. It's going to take commitment to be here when you are here. Be here when you are here. There's a reason. Listen, we don't do we don't do Sunday school that morning on Sunday morning. We don't do fellowship on that Sunday night if we're going into a Monday revival. It's not because we can't walk and chew gum. It's because I want you when you're here to be here in heart as well as in body, in mind, as well as in body. It's going to take some commitment. You've heard me say this. You're going to have to be here on purpose. The devil will make sure you're not here by accident. But I would say beyond that, it's going to take commitment like they had commitment. When they heard the truth of God, they stood to the covenant. They answered. When God knocked, they opened the door of their heart. They said, all right, Lord, you're right. And they responded to it. I see the commitment that is needed. Look at verse 4. I like this. The king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priest of the second order, and the keepers of the door, to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove. Sounds like a church cleaning day, don't it? And for all the host of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. I see the consecration that is needed. You know what Josiah said? Go ahead and throw away all them false idols. We ain't going to need them anymore. We're going to be serving the Lord from here on out. Go ahead and go in and find all those things that don't help us serve God. Oh my, let me say that again. Go in there and find all them things that don't help us serve God. Go in and find all them things that are contrary to God. Go in and find all those things that because we're serving God, now it's just junk. You'd be amazed how your value system changes when you consecrate yourself to the Lord. The things that you thought you couldn't live without all of a sudden are just junk getting in your way of serving God. I'm not talking about physical things, although it can be associated with them. But I'm talking about spiritually in your life. The things that you thought you couldn't live without, those pet sins that you thought you had to have to even breathe, when you get consecrated to God, you'll start looking at it and saying, that's just junk that gets in my way of doing something for God. It's going to take consecration. We're going to have to throw out that which does not please the Lord in our lives. There's going to have to be a, a cleaning that takes place. I, I joked about it. I, I, I love and hate church cleaning days. I, I, the, I, I hate them because it's work. <laughs> but I love them because it's fascinating. You'd be amazed the things that you find on church cleaning day. 
And then you sit and think to yourself, you know, at some point, somebody walked this into this place. And not only that, when they were done doing whatever they were doing with it, they said, don't take it home, store it up there. That way we've got it for the future. And then, you know, 30 years later, when somebody finally gets to, to, to clean it out, they're looking around, they're thinking, what was this ever doing here in the first place? Wonder when the last time was you did some cleaning in your life. Wonder if there'd be some things you'd say, what was this ever doing here in the first place? Why as a Christian did I ever allow this in my life? I know that it's wrong. I know it's dishonoring the Lord. Hey, there's a consecration that's needed. Then look at verse 5. The Bible says this, He put down, uh, like you would a dog or a cat. <laughs> he put down, the or politician, He put down... Was that the air conditioner kicking on? He put down the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem. Them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun and to the moon and to the planets and to all the hosts of heaven. I wonder why he did this. He might have done it because he hated these people. He probably did hate them. And I think there's a certain measure of righteous indignation uh, that, that, that is appropriate, right? Uh, listen, if we, if we love the Lord, there's going to be some things we're going to hate. If we love the Lord, there's going to be some things that, that, that we... Hey, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. It's biblical. But then, you know, he could have done it because of that. He could have done it uh, because he felt as though it was just. These people had committed great crimes against the nation. Uh, but I think there's a better reason that he did this. You know, going back to that church cleanup day, there's certain people you can't have at church cleanup day. And I, I'm not going to name names. I'm not, Ken. I'm not going to name anyone's name. The Lord and the Holy Spirit knows. But there's some people you can't have. And, and it's not because you don't love them. It's not because they're not helpful. But it's for a very simple reason. Because as you're carrying it out, they'll be carrying it back in. If you've got more than one door, you can get a revolving door thing going on. I've seen it happen before. I'm not going to call names. I'm, I'm not going to... I'll just say there's been people in my life that had bought things from thrift stores for me that I gave to that thrift store. <laughs> the Lord judged between me and me. I'm just saying. I'll tell you why I think he got rid of these folks. He knew that it wouldn't do no good to carry all this out, only to watch them carry it right back in. You know... The Holy Ghost, apply this in your heart. But there's going to be some people you're going to have to cut off. You know why? Because all that stuff you get out, they're going to bring right back into your life. There's going to be certain activities, certain environments that you're going to have to cut off. Because as soon as you clean all that out, they're going to carry all that right back in. And this is part of the problem, is no revival has ever happened with half measures. We love half measures. You know why? Because we are a divided person. The old man and the new man. That's why half measures are so tempting to us. Because we think we can appease both sides. In fact, that never happens. Hey, you're going to hate the one and cling to the other. Or you'll despise the one and forsake the other. Those are the only two choices. Half measures don't get it done. Oftentimes we lose our nerve. But if revival is going to happen in your life and mine, there's going to be some things we're going to have to cut off. 
I see that, that there, there's the commandments that are needed, commitments, consecration, the cutting off that's needed. But then look at verse number 6. The Bible says, And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord. Grove, bunch of trees, right? He cut them down. He brought out the grove from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem under the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and stamped it to small powder and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. I wonder what he was doing. I think there's a few things. One, I think he knew that if he let those cut down trees stand, it wouldn't be long. They'd put them back up. So he said, here's what I have to do. I have to take it. I have to cut it down. I have to burn it. I have to grind it to powder. Why did he throw it on the graves of the people? He was burying it. I would say it this way. There is a cleansing that is needed in our lives. You know, Paul talked about give none occasion to the flesh. You know, part of the reason that that cutting off is so needed, because we are weak people. There are some things that just don't need to be in your life. I, we never did it growing up. We, I grew up in a church in the city and we just, I don't know, we never did. I, at least I don't recall it. Maybe it did happen, but you know, it used to be youth groups when they'd have revival. God get a hold of kids at some youth camp or at some VBS revival or something. One of the things they'd do on Friday night, they'd have a bonfire. Right? And they'd get all that stuff, all them clothes they shouldn't have been wearing, all that music they shouldn't have been listening to, all them books they shouldn't have been reading, all them movies they should never own. And they'd go have them a big bonfire and they'd throw it in the bonfire. Why are you so quiet this morning? Does that make you nervous? Hey, listen, they'll burn God's book. I ain't worried about burning the devil's books. And they'd burn all that stuff. Why'd they do that? Because they understood teenagers. And if you just took that thing and sat it on a shelf somewhere in their bedroom, they didn't have the willpower to stay away from it. The best thing they could do was destroy it and take temptation out of the way. I'd say this, that's pretty good for teenagers. Boy, it'd be really good for adults. Some things that you got no business in your life. Why are they even there? You say, preacher, what do I do? Take it, burn it, destroy it, stomp it to powder, and bury it. We're going to have to, in other words, get serious about this matter of revival. Sadly, the revival that Josiah instituted didn't last very long because revival is not just an event that occurs but rather it's a rule of life in how we behave and how we live. And, you know, if revival was a one-and-done thing, you've probably been revived at some point. I've been in revival meetings. Man, God's done big things in my life. You say, preacher, well, why didn't it take? Well, it did take, but here's the problem. Just as with the children of Israel, with the passage of time, we grow complacent, we grow carnal, we grow self-interested. And we turn away from that work that God has been doing. And you know what? That's why both you and me need revival this next week. It's going to take the preaching of the Word of God. You I'll preach, I'll sit at the house and pray for it. That's good, but don't expect to participate in it. Pray for it, but if you ain't there, you ain't participating in it. I, it's been years since I've been worried whether we'd have enough people to have church. And in that period of time, I have grown far more cantankerous. Let me tell you something. If it was just me and my wife, we'd still have church. And it'd be real good because we wouldn't have to wonder who the preaching was for. It'd be for her. 
I, I'm not saying I ain't twisting nobody's arms. Do you, hey, listen, do, do you, hey, though I speak the truth to you, are you going to despise me? I'm just telling you when you say, well, preacher, I'm going to sit at home and pray for it. That's fine, but don't deceive yourself into thinking you're participating in it. If you just sit at home and pray, we just take it in shifts to sit at home and pray. Revival takes the preached word of God. Takes the, the word of God being preached to your heart and to your life. You want revival, you're going to have to be here for revival. I see the commandments, the commitments. It's going, you're going to have to be committed. The devil, he loves casual Christians. Because really what they are, are, are useful idiots for his cause. He don't need you to hate God. He just needs you to not love him the way that you ought to. So it's going to take commitment. It's going to take consecration. It's going to take cutting off. It's going to take cleansing. It's going to take these things. But I believe revival is possible. I believe if we'll do these things, God can do a work in our life. So really the question is, not only for you, but for me as well, how much do we want revival? I'll tell you this. We're not going to have revival till we want it. We're not going to have revival till we want it. Until we can't live without it, we'll live without it. So how committed are you to see God do something in your heart and life? Let's bow together this morning as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. I hope you'll respond to the Lord this morning. You don't have to respond to me. You don't have to have liked anything that I said. But I hope if God said something to your heart and soul, I hope you love Him enough, trust Him enough, that you'd respond to Him this morning. Father, bless this invitation. I love you, Lord. Thank you for loving me in spite of me loving me. Lord, I pray that we'd be obedient to your word today. In Christ's name with our head.